0: The Insider from Work with Studios. What's up everybody and welcome to The Insider. I'm your host Adam and we aim to bring you some of the most unique and interesting insights from the world of action and outdoor sports. Rather than focusing on the athletes, The Insider looks to go behind the scenes and chat to some of the most influential people that have helped to shape the industry we love. The people you may have never heard of and shine a light on their story. Having personally worked with some of the most iconic brands and athletes and met some incredibly talented people along the way, The Insider aims to shed some light on some of the stories, careers and proudest moments from those behind the scenes and those that are making the moves in the action and outdoor sports industry. Each episode, we will be bringing you a new guest to tell us their story and share their insights from around the world. Maybe you are a professional in the industry yourself. Maybe you're just a fan and looking to find out more about the sports that you love. Maybe you're trying to get onto the inside yourself. Whatever your angle, we have a lineup of some truly awesome guests. So let's get to it with episode one of The Insider and we'll see you on the other side. Hello. How's it going?
1: I'm pretty good, thanks.
0: Good stuff. You figured it out in the end?
1: Yeah, I had to get the app.
0: Cool. Uh, So you are my very first guest.
1: Uh, That's exciting. (laughs) Uh,
0: There'll be like a little bit of blurb that's gone in front of this, but... uh... Yeah, basically the idea is to kind of uh, give people a little bit of an insight into uh, the inside of the industry. Um, And my plan was to kind of kick things off by letting you introduce yourself and what you do, and then I'll go a little way to explain how we met and came to work together, and then hopefully take it from there.
1: Okay, I'm a little nervous, but this sounds good.
0: Cool, well... uh, Why don't you just start by telling us who you are uh, and uh, what you do and who it's for.
1: Okay, so uh, I am CJ and I am the sports marketing manager for 510 and Adidas Outdoor. Uh, It's a job I've had for, well, I've worked for 510 for five years now. Uh, It's taken me from California to Germany And uh, from Germany, all over the world, I guess.
0: Cool. So, uh, yeah, to give people a bit of a background, uh, we first kind of got connected through uh, Vero Sandler, uh, who I was working with uh, kind of on a lot of her sponsorship deals and all of that sort of stuff. Um, And we got talking uh, when she first uh, signed and became uh, uh, Adidas 510 athlete. Um, and from there, I guess it's kind of grown over the last couple of years. The biggest thing we did together was uh, you were an executive producer on uh, on Vision, which was a feature movie that um, that I produced. And yeah, I guess we kind of got pretty pretty close working together on Adidas through that project, which was which was super exciting. Um, mm-hmm. And we've continued to kind of kind of work together since. So that's how me and CJ. Uh, know each other and I think many people probably think you have one of the, uh, the coolest jobs in the world.
1: I definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: was, uh, it was interesting because when we first started uh, working together we would go to a lot of World Cups and, and this podcast is called The Insider but um, I remembered when you kind of joined kind of how it feels like you're an outsider quite often because you're just kind of turning up and walking into people's pits and kind of being like hi guys Um, And I always wanted to kind of welcome you into where we were because I knew what that that feeling was like.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Funny story, my first ever World Cup. Originally, uh, the guy who was doing the job before me, Luke, who moved on to a product role, was supposed to uh, go with me to the first World Cup and introduce me to all of uh, the people he knew. And yes, uh, he's based out of the U.S. It was the first one was lotion in Croatia. Uh, He just couldn't go. So I was left hanging at the last minute and just on my own, wandering around a World Cup pit, like, how do I do this job? But uh, fortunately, you and, and pretty much everyone I met, they were so nice and so welcoming. It didn't take long to feel at home.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a cool weekend. I remember it because at the time I was still working with, uh, with Scott and actually traveling with with the World Cup team. And so I felt a little bit more integrated at that point. But like mm-hmm. I remember my first World Cup uh, for Monster Energy and just kind of turning up and like Steve Pete being like an idol growing up and having to kind of like walk over and give him his hat ready for like if he got a podium or something like that. It was just the, the like being a super fan, but also somebody's kind of manager can sometimes be like a I don't know a weirdly uh anxiety driving kind of situation
1: yeah I met Steve and told him that I was going to be the new Luke and he just looks at me and goes those are some big shoes to fill (laughs) (laughs) I was so nervous
0: (laughs) yeah but it's uh I think for a lot of people it's kind of they see the the they see kind of what you do, or uh, maybe they follow you on Instagram, or they've seen you from some of the riding and stuff that you've, you've done at Darkfest, and they just kind of look at somebody traveling the world and, and having having the dream job. But maybe let's take it back. Like, how did you get into riding bikes in the first place?
1: Uh, I got into rock climbing, which um, moved me to a, a place called Big Bear Lake in California, and a real outdoorsy town uh shit I just needed a job (laughs) um literally I was checking on my application at Starbucks and the guy said well I've been filling in at this bike shop and I know they're looking to hire hire someone full-time so I got a job at a bike shop and yeah before I knew it I was just falling in love with mountain bikes
0: cool and, and so this was kind of pre the 510 days, like you started mm-hmm. climbing just as it being something that you were just genuinely interested in, and that just led mm-hmm. you into biking as a part of another outdoor sport.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was 2013. I had, uh, you know, commuted around when I lived in New York City, but I was in no way a biker. And uh, when I first saw the mountain bikes, I thought, man, that looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but i i tried it once and i was just totally hooked it was such a adrenaline rush it was so much fun yeah it was everything i was looking for really
0: awesome it's cool though because a lot of people kind of that's how a lot of people start out is by just working in a bike shop or, or becoming a mechanic because it's when you're younger it's a way of i don't know getting uh really getting into the into the sports that, that you love but i guess yeah you've also always been in uh, an industry that's maybe been more dominated by men, even in a a bike shop, I guess. Like, I can't imagine there were as many women working there. How was that kind of experience?
1: Honestly, I was just so excited to be riding bikes. I barely noticed. Uh, I actually, one of the locals who kind of took me out on a lot of my first rides and taught me the ropes was just this really like energetic, positive guy. And one of the first things he said to me was, you know, never apologize if you're slower. The people have chosen to go out on a ride with you. They know what they're getting into. You should never apologize, just have fun. And that kind of set the tone for me. And I I feel very lucky uh, that I got that experience because it definitely did, there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of anxiety when you're especially I think for women in a group of men but I got really lucky just felt confident and just was having so much fun
0: cool I mean it's so true it's kind of the same with with our riding group here I often go on rides and I'm the last person to the top and the last person to the bottom and you Mm -hmm. have to I have to remind myself I'm riding with people like Brendan and Ollie Wilkins and it's like okay step back for a second. And every now and then I like to go and ride with some people. Like I'll go for a ride with my dad just so I feel like I'm a really good bike rider. <laughs> um, so was there like a, a point where you, where you went, whoa, actually maybe this is a sport that I wanna make a career out of and you started looking for, for work or did it just kind of evolve quite naturally?
1: It, no, it was totally natural. I just wanted more bikes in my life, more bike riding. <laughs> more talking about bikes, it, it was just all consuming, honestly, like, uh, at the bike shop, it was me and the mechanic most days. And it was just hours of conversation about parts, about races, riders, it never ended. And, and that just continued until I met the 510 crew um, at the local bike park.
0: So and they're still your still ride with those guys to this day now.
1: Well, I don't live in California anymore, so not much. <laughs> but when I go back, for sure.
0: Cool. So t- maybe give us a little bit of kind of insight about how that sort of yeah, like that process went with with Five Ten then, because Five Ten has become one of the biggest names in mountain biking and outdoor sports, and mm-hmm. and you kind of worked your way from a yeah a bike shop into one of those big brands through just like sheer passion by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, that's honestly, uh, it's been one of the coolest experiences of my life, you know, because I feel like as a kid, I did everything the right way. I got good grades in high school. I immediately went to college, got a degree in college. And it wasn't until after I graduated that I was really like, you know, screw all of this. I'm going to go be a bum. And have some fun and somehow through that i ended up with a career and not through the the education that i'd fought my whole life for so uh i yeah really fortunate in that aspect i got i started out as an assistant for the product testing with 510 uh, and that grew to yeah a permanent job in the testing department and then in 2017 we Switched over to the headquarters in Germany to the Adidas headquarters, and that's when I was offered the sports marketing role.
0: Cool. So why don't I? I always find this a brilliant story about somebody being in sports marketing. But tell us what mm-hmm. your degree was.
1: <laughs> screenwriting. So I can write movies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, yeah. and is there anything that you would say that like your degree has helped you <laughs> in the in kind of the work that <laughs> you do now?
1: A little bit. I mean, I, I am a good writer, and that's always helpful, especially when a lot of your coworkers are German, so English isn't their native language. Like, it's always helpful, but it's definitely not yeah, a key aspect of my job in any way. I'm not writing dialogue, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. I, I always say to people, like, I feel a lot of people specialize now quite early on in kind of their, their career. Like I was talking to somebody the other day and they said they did a degree in action sports athlete management.
1: Oh my God.
0: I I was like, Whoa, they do that somewhere. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's almost like your degree is the thing that just kind of uh, gets you to a certain level of understanding and teaches you how to kind of, I don't know, uh, be in education at a certain level it builds you up ready for your kind of career it's not necessarily the exact thing that you study that's as important
1: yeah I feel like a degree like that would be useless if you're not also an action sport athlete if you don't have that sincere connection to the sport then why are you trying to manage those people right
0: completely it's uh yeah it's it should be a kind of bit more of a a natural and organic fit into a role like that rather than studying for it. But I appreciate that there are are obviously some degrees where you're like, I'm going to be a, I don't know, a a doctor and you've got to go and study medicine. (laughs) You know, you can't do a marketing degree and then the next day apply. Like I'm going to be a GP now. It just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It's uh, no. So I think, um, a lot of people would, would know 510 and they would know Adidas. Quite a few people would know about how that kind of, the, the two companies merged maybe maybe five years ago. You've kind of bridged the gap between the two. So be cool to hear your experience from being a part of what was a small niche um, uh, brand and now being a part of, a, a, of a kind of one of the biggest brands in the world essentially.
1: Yeah, at first it was very much uh, jumping in the deep end without knowing how to swim. But uh, what's really been cool is uh, 510 moved into specifically the outdoor business of Adidas. And they were really, really keen to turn around, uh, kind of turn over a new leaf with their business and inject some new life into it. And part of that was integrating 510. So even though we were this really small company coming into this massive corporation, they really saw us as a, a strong asset. They really appreciated kind of the level of authenticity we had, the connection we had to the community. Um, and so it was, in the end, we were welcomed you know, into the fold really well. So it worked out. Worked out great we have more resources than ever before we've got like the strength of this big company behind us and we're still we're still paddling along really
0: yeah it's been cool to really see kind of the the development of it uh, uh over the last few years i think a lot of people mm-hmm. their major kind of turning point in the 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 two brands coming together was when the adidas logo started to appear on uh, 510 shoes around about 12 18 months ago was that like a a nerve-wracking moment in the transition
1: oh it was huge and i mean we had massive amounts of back and forth about how we should go about it what what the logo should look like what the integration should look like what the communication to our our customers should look like so it was absolutely a gamble that we took but uh And, you know, you're always going to have some people who are huge fans and some people who are turned off by the idea. You just
0: have to kind of
1: be steady in your course and and make sure you're doing the right thing kind of for yourselves.
0: Yeah, I've always found it an interesting one because I understand how, you know, when you come from very kind of uh, core sports like mountain biking and climbing, when a big brand comes in, some people see it as... Uh, I don't know, often the word of sellout or something like that floats around. For me, I, I, I come at it from it's it's brilliant when mainstream brands kind of access these sports and do it in the in the right way, because it brings uh, a whole host more kind of attention and credibility sometimes to the sport. So I understand the two different sides of the argument me personally when when i saw uh the adidas 510 uh brand merger it became it's i saw it as a huge opportunity for not just uh the industry and the sport but the the athletes as well
1: yeah i think um kind of my personal philosophy there is that the industry the athletes mountain biking as as a sport they're all connected they all depend on each other so what's good for one is good for the other two
0: yeah, completely. So I think uh, you touched on a few bits and pieces about about what you do, uh, but why don't you kind of go into a bit more detail about what your actual role is? Because I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into it than people maybe maybe see or, or think about when they hear uh, Adidas Five Ten Mountain Bike Sports Marketing Manager, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> So actually my job is uh, one of four different roles that make up marketing. So there's really quite a bit that goes on with marketing. Um, and my job is, is focused on athletes. So everything from um, scouting and signing, contract negotiation, all of that, making sure they get the right product in the right size handling all those issues when they have a, a photo shoot coming up in two days and they don't have shoes, which happens more often than you would think. <laughs> uh, and, then, um, and then integrating like those athletes and their careers into the business and what new shoes we're launching and what advertising um, photo shoots and stuff we want to do. Kind of matching that up with the projects that they want to create and, and working kind of the best way forward to, to help their careers and to get their careers to help promote our shoes.
0: And, and how important is that athlete role seen with, with, within the organization? Like you are the gatekeeper to uh, the, some of the biggest names in, in the sport. Um, how's that kind of uh, worked with internally?
1: Yeah, so so we work most closely with um, another part of marketing called brand communications, and they're the ones that are looking after things like our our social media, our PR. So we kind of work closely together with them and make sure we we match up um, everything we're doing as a company to kind of to kind of fit the right athlete product location narrative right we get yeah. all three get all three correct and uh, yeah we're, we're helping everyone
0: yeah and so then you've got so you've got brand communications and you've got the athletes yeah. and they kind of everybody's talking together there and then you touched on it about luke earlier who mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know luke is the key guy behind a lot of the product development um mm-hmm. so at what point does then your athlete role kind of lend itself into driving Uh, product innovation?
1: Yeah I mean it's it's different kind of with every every season with every product but we're always trying to get athlete feedback into the product and the product as prototypes into the athlete's hands. Uh, We started doing an athlete summit which unfortunately got cancelled this year thanks to coronavirus but uh, in the past, it's been kind of the best opportunity to sit Luke and the product team down with the athletes and uh, really have some some brainstorming sessions. It's been super productive
0: and And has that since it's gone from being kind of small 510 to big Adidas world has, has that process changed and, and and I guess have you seen benefits come from it?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have so many more technologies, um, materials, testing equipment at our disposal that we can then like incorporate. Okay, the athlete feedback, um, but at a much more like scientific and precise level. So we're doing a lot of work now with Adidas to get the guesswork out of the, what we want to integrate into the shoes.
0: Cool. Yeah, it was kind of like a. Uh um looking at the way one of the latest shoes developed which is the sleuth and it and it came from the samba which is a really iconic adidas shoe but then took the technology and the the 510 rubber and the, the kind of the feedback from the athletes to create this this new hybrid i guess so is that sort of a really good example of, of the world colliding in a positive way
1: uh in a way it's also one of our like um least technical shoes so i think it's a great example because it's it's illustrating kind of how that's trickling down through the entire lineup yeah so even even those like dirt jump uh casual style shoes are benefiting from from what adidas can bring to the table
0: Completely. So uh, take us through a, a day in the life of CJ and maybe let's step this back like not now because we're all working from home, but maybe kind of uh, pre-March 15th before we went into lockdown or, or kind of mid of, uh, of a World Cup season or something, what does your job role kind of entail on a daily basis?
1: There is a lot of travel involved. Um, there's like that busy point through the summer where the season's in high gear and there's events every weekend and I really feel like my apartment becomes a laundromat and storage unit and that's (laughs) about it I'll come home do laundry and instantly put it back in my suitcase um it's it's stressful for sure it's hectic um but I've really come to love it so I think it's not for everyone but uh, if you can if you can stay on top of answering emails while you're on an airplane and stuff like that, it's such an adventure because the job's just kind of different every day.
0: Yeah, I remember doing uh, like two World Cup seasons back to back and being on the road and how actually when I would get into a hotel in a different resort, that mm-hmm. felt like I was at home again rather than when I walked in through my door to do the washing. Uh, yeah exactly it's it's weird like kind of what what starts to feel comfortable again. Do you find you get itchy feet when you've had a bit of time off and you're you're just ready to to get away again yeah it's
1: it's crazy. I mean, I've been living in Germany for two and a half years now, and this coronavirus situation is the first time I actually feel like I live here, yeah. It's the first time I've, I've really been able to explore and learn the local trails, meet the local mountain bikers and, and have this sort of sense of, oh, this is my favorite restaurant, this is my home. I never really had that until now because it was always so go, go, go.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hear that completely. It's, it's, it's really hard uh, for me. This is the first summer I've had a, at home in maybe six, seven years. And it feels good because I didn't have to decide to do it. So I don't feel like I'm missing out as much. Yeah,
1: yeah, totally. Because like it, on the other side of that, there's something so incredible about going to different cities in different countries and yet seeing the same faces each time you go. You know, it it's this like traveling circus type feel.
0: Completely. It's exactly what I was going to call it. I always refer to it as the as the traveling circus. The the circus rolls into town, and everybody's there, and it's like uh, they mm-hmm. yeah, it's like they haven't been apart.
1: Yeah, it's it uh, for me, it's like creating some of the the best connections and friendships you could ask for.
0: Completely. And when you're a fan, it's like you're uh, you're just kind of feels like you're on vacation on holiday sometimes because you're just doing what maybe if you were working a normal office job you would have just uh, paid to go and do for a long weekend to Austria to go watch the World Cup.
1: Mm-hmm. I find I'm, as I get more jaded though the actual uh, fans can get more and more difficult to deal with because <laughs> yeah. you're like I just want to do my job I just want to talk to this, this writer and here's like 18 people asking for, for photographs.
0: Yeah, especially when you're working with some of the, the athletes that you have, which are the yeah, the most famous ones of all. So, uh, yeah. so I, I guess the, the World Cup season starts in, we well, would usually start in, in kind of March, April and go through till mm-hmm. September. Uh, there's what, eight rounds, seven, eight rounds a year with the, with the World Championships. You're there mm-hmm. representing 5'10". You've got some of the best athletes in the world. What what does CJ do at a World Cup?
1: Uh, there's like there's a wide variety of, of things and they're usually all just geared around kind of catering to the athletes, um, making sure that they've got the product they need, handing more to them if they do not, making sure they're not having issues. Um, and then a lot of it is uh, just kind of being moral support as well making sure I'm up to date on how their their weekend is going there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that yeah it's it's amusing now looking at like pink bike and seeing people's comments um and their assumptions on why a certain rider did well or did not do well and it's almost hard to hold your tongue and be like no you guys like the, he had a mechanical. I was there and but but they don't know those things so it's important for me to know how and why like the riders careers are going the way they're going um just for yeah re-signing purposes and stuff like that
0: yeah completely and and how is it to be I guess you've got uh different types of sponsors when it comes to uh uh, world cup professional athletes I know Mm -hmm. some people have kind of banks as sponsors or I don't know like what was when I saw the other day, soaring malt loaf for Sam Pilgrim, um, but to be like a, a genuine functional piece of equipment for a for a rider, like shoes are one of the most important things. Does does that make it feel like you're you have a greater sense of purpose at the races?
1: Definitely, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I could understand why uh, someone who works at a bank doesn't. They can just watch the replay, right? and cheer for their rider but for me obviously it's more important to be there and what's always kind of interesting about my position is that I'm I'm one of the few people I think you were as well who wasn't tied to one pit wasn't tied to one team yeah so there's a like um, every time I arrive I have to kind of get the layout find out who's pitted up where and and start making the rounds because there's yeah, a lot of different teams we support a lot of individual athletes we support and at the end of the day like it's important to keep an eye on everything that's happening
0: yeah completely it's a it's a fun uh and unique environment and, and anybody who ever gets the chance to to go to one if they haven't I, I definitely recommend it so I guess yeah. the you've got World Cup racing, which a lot of people regard as kind of the Formula 1 of, of mountain bike, whether or not, I don't know, in America, mm-hmm. that might be like the NASCAR of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's definitely kind of the elite side of competition across downhill and and also mm-hmm. into cross-country, but neither of us have really kind of transitioned into that side of the sport as much. Um, but there, that's not just the only part of the, the the sport that you're in so you've got you've got world cup athletes and then we move into kind of more of the the kind of the media based riders or kind of the free ride slope style riders and those guys that do red bull rampage um how do you go about uh i guess you 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 get to choose the athletes in 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 many ways like what is it that the that, that goes through your mind when you're trying to figure out who are the right guys and girls to support in these sports.
1: Well, for the most part we have focused on four different disciplines within mountain biking. So downhill, enduro, slope style and freeride are the main focus disciplines for us. And so then I'm balancing my team out between those four. Obviously yeah. downhill where you have a uh, 80 now 60 top men 15 top women it makes sense to have a bigger team than say in slope style where you've got 15 riders on the day yes so the team is definitely like have most heavily within downhill but i try and i try and focus on all four of those and, and then yeah obviously a lot of other things come into play when you're sponsoring someone where they're from um their, their other sponsors, their personality types, it, it all factors in for sure.
0: Completely. And, and from the, the World Cup side of things and the competitive side of things, it, it's almost a little bit easier sometimes because the results kind of validate the product, but also, uh, you know, create news stories and brand awareness and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, if you sponsor the world number one, then it's kind of fairly self-explanatory going into the the free ride and the uh the kind of more media based style stuff which i think is is growing in, in us in the, this sport now um mm-hmm. what are the key things that you look to is it social media is it kind of magazine coverage i guess the industry is always evolving
1: sorry you cut out for a second there
0: Oh, I was uh, just saying that on a on a World Cup side of things, um, it's quite easy to think about who the the right athletes are, because if you're winning, then you're getting media coverage and you're validating the product. But on a uh, free rider media side of things where the sport's sort of evolving uh, a little bit more, Mm -hmm. what is it that you look to when you're trying to find the, the right athletes, social media, magazine coverage, all sorts of stuff?
1: There's, there's so much that goes into it, and that's why I feel like the, the biggest asset I have is the fact that I'm such a big fan of this sport. Yeah. It, it would be mind-blowingly difficult for me to choose between athlete A and athlete B if I hadn't seen all of the movies they were in, if I hadn't, you know read about each world's first trick or, or trip they've done results they've had it's such a huge asset to to kind of understand not just who an athlete is in the moment but where he's come from or she's come from where their place is in the sport in the whole community um, and what sort of potential they see for themselves in the future and how you feel about their future, right? There's a lot of things that have to line up. And for me, just, just staying involved in the sport and in the community is the most important thing.
0: Completely. Do you think that that creates some bias sometimes though? I talk from personal experience, I would be like, well, that's like, you know, one of my favorite riders, but it might sway my opinion in their way when maybe they might not be the right person uh, for the brand so do you sometimes have that battle
1: oh totally i mean at, at the end of the day it's always going to be uh, subjective and not objective right yeah. i i could say that i want so badly to be objective in my decisions but it's impossible right i'm human these athletes become my coworkers, uh yeah. so yeah how how we get on and how um I perceive their place in the industry is, is totally important. Um, I think, I think the best thing is always just communication, right? Because that's where I work closely with someone like Luke, who's doing product to really understand or brand comms to understand the, the direction of the company. And the more I can understand what the product is, how we want to portray it, who it's meant for where it's supposed to be within within the greater industry like then i can i can have better chances of finding the right athlete for the job
0: completely and, and do you find that it's like when you can align yourself as a person with mm-hmm. that product or that campaign or or and the brand itself like I, i've always said culture is a, is a massive part of an organization that you, that you work for uh does that make it, does that make it easier? Like you are, you are as much 5'10 as 5'10 It is you. So you, you, that bias works in your favor sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to take a step back and understand that you have influence over the company. It doesn't exist without its employees. Right. Completely. So we choose the direction it goes in. We don't always make the right choice, but we, we try our hardest and, yeah, again, to me, it's just always been a huge asset to to know and love the sport. I think one of the best examples is Vero Sandler, because before she ever emailed me to ask for sponsorship, I was already a huge fan of hers. Yeah. You know, and that allowed me to, to see an email coming in from her and get excited and see a lot of potential that uh she wasn't anticipating when she sent that email asking for some cheese you know
0: yeah i think that's a really nice transition because uh it kind of steps into how you your role actually in, uh, allows you to enable other people's careers as well and and support that and i and i think Vero was was a big part of, of that for you in terms of bringing her into the the 510 world um increasing female representation in the sport which has been a big big challenge for Mm -hmm. for a lot of brands to do it in in the right way and then obviously that kind of led into the creation of vision so be really Mm -hmm. cool to kind of hear some of your uh i don't know your process when when all of that went on
1: yeah i mean to start at the beginning right again huge fan of the sport and um as, as a female myself, representation totally matters. I've learned this firsthand. And I, I've always looked up to, admired all of the racers and what they accomplished. But when I first found Vero on Instagram, she was doing crank flips. And that was such a, a symbol to me of this sort of like fun jibbing style that I hadn't really seen from any females before that. Yeah. So she instantly filled this void in uh, and just what I was looking for women to prove they were capable of.
0: Yeah, which was always quite a natural transition for for men to go from kind of racing into mm-hmm. maybe being more of a media rider, but that didn't really happen, or mm-hmm. the opportunity wasn't wasn't there as much much for women before Vera.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was just it was something that I was excited to see a female athlete do, and so to me, it was always quite natural to to. Like well, let's have more of this, and that—that's my job. Essentially, is to to develop those careers as much as I can to help them out as much as I can.
0: Cool. So, how did that then? I guess kind of segue Mm -hmm. into what was your one of your biggest projects that you've you've done, which was which was Vision. I know the story because I was a a a big part of it. But uh, why don't you tell us kind of how that all all came about and. I guess developed from maybe being a three minute edit into what became uh, a big uh, feature film?
1: Like, honestly, I mean, that was what an eight month process. I couldn't even tell you the exact ins and outs anymore because that project changed ideas, concepts, lengths, uh, you know, affiliated writers so many times. But it was something that Vera was passionate about about doing a project with us. And I was passionate about helping her kind of get the biggest platform possible. So we just kind of kept working at it and you helped out a lot coming up with, I think 15 different concepts every time that we were like, well, it needs some tweaking here, it needs some tweaking there. And and we just kind of kept working until it, it fit. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those projects where kind of when you're in the industry and you're a part of it, you can see that it makes sense. But when you're working with bigger brands, you know, it has to tick so many more boxes. So, mm-hmm. you know, if a company is going to in- invest in something like that, it has to de- deliver a return. And I think mm-hmm. that's often something that the maybe younger athletes don't don't see or understand that every sponsorship, every investment mm-hmm. in, a, in a project you know, there's a part of it is there to support and raise awareness of the sport as a whole, but it's, it is marketing and it's there to, to help drive sales. So when you look at a film, someone sees it, uh, there's a whole background that goes into that, which is about saying, okay, well, how does this work for the brand and and the business? And those are all the little pieces of a puzzle that you have to try and fit to get a project off the ground.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, um, you know as much as any employee at a business is motivated by a a love of a sport at the end of the day like having a job is also still key and you don't have a job if you're not selling your product yeah so you've always got to marry those two and and they can come together like quite beautifully but it's always um taking some patience and I agree that a lot of times I feel like some younger athletes takes them a while to understand that because once you've worked with an athlete for a while they really do become a partner in your in your company right they're invested in making the product better because it's the product that they use you know harder faster better than any other human on the planet so they're they're invested in the product almost as much as you are and you're able to grow together, but it takes a while to get to that point.
0: Completely. What would you, uh, I, I think, if there are other kind of sponsorship managers or marketing managers listening out there, I think we've all had some incredible one-liner emails. Is there one that springs to mind, like a, a someone emailing you about sponsorship? Um, it
1: It's usually coming from the amateurs, to be honest with you. Uh, most professional athletes, yeah, sometimes the delivery is a little weird, especially if they're, and I'm going to call it the downhill riders, that got picked up as juniors. A lot yeah. of times they have the least kind of clue of what's going on because they got on a team at the age of 16, 17. And if depending on the team setup, maybe every product was handed to them. And they didn't have any any sort of experience dealing with individual sponsors, so yeah, they'll they'll kind of come up quite naively and be like, "Will you give me stuff?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I I always admi- admire the the foreign riders across any sport because mm-hmm. I think on the most part the action and outdoor sports industry it's it's kind of English is just the global language of, of our sports from uh, commentary to to sponsorships and a lot of brands being based out of, of the U, uh, out of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, do you get some interesting uh, attempts at English on, on some emails as well?
1: Yeah, I definitely do. And I, I've even, I've even gotten foreign language emails that I've put through Google translate, which is, yeah, we're lucky we have tools like that today. Yeah. Um, Cause I do feel for those people and uh, Yeah. You'll see you'll see their English develop if their careers are going well, too, because they're getting asked more questions and and interacting with more different companies and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And a lot of these, uh, the French especially, are quite kind of uh, notorious for it. They're studying alongside being uh, a World Cup athlete. So they're doing that, doing their degree. Um, And a lot of the time you see their their English develop as they're going through that learning process as well. I always uh yeah, always kind of uh blew my mind how some of them came out with, you know, an economics degree after being a World Cup writer. It's it's incredible. It doesn't seem to be pushed so much in in that direction. Manon Carpenter, I remember working with her at Monster and it was she she picked to go to university instead of continuing her career, but it, it runs side by side in some of those other European countries. Mm-hmm do you ever think uh, mountain biking will go uh, in the same direction as uh, other us sports where you can get college sponsorships or scholarships
1: you can in the us okay um yeah so so you can get sponsor or or scholarships to be on college teams for cycling and they it's interesting because they do all of the sports actually like you you're on the cycling team so you're doing mountain biking for downhill dual slalom cross country um it's all one team they travel and and do interscholastic competitions
0: okay interesting yeah very different i remember growing up trying to uh push to be able to do BMX racing as one of my uh, sports in my GCSE PE uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, they were having none of it so it's nice to see that it's kind of uh, developed a little bit that people can kind of uh, drive it in the way that other mainstream sports are because I think what a lot of people don't see is how athletic some of these men and women are you know they are training at the top of of their game to be in uh, peak physical fitness to yeah, to win.
1: Yeah, totally. I think uh, the days of slacking off and being good at this sport are totally over. It doesn't matter what discipline you're doing. These are dedicated, full-time professional athletes.
0: Yeah. I remember being uh, at the bottom of, um, uh, where was it? It was Lux uh, at the Burton uh, European Open of snowboarding. And Margaret Morris, one of the uh, best uh, snowboarders in the world, is like a few other people are going out for beers and he's back in his apartment doing yoga with his coach because that's what he needs to do to be able to win and then he wins the next day you know that idea of looking after the athlete's body has really trans- has really changed over the last uh, decade when it comes to when it comes to action sports
1: i will always have a certain appreciation for the riders that go to the after parties and let and let loose but yeah for sure they're all extremely dedicated and extremely um strict up until that moment
0: completely um so i guess kind of to to round things off we've covered mm-hmm. quite a lot of topics but for me i want to understand what your proudest moment is in your career so far and what is the uh, most exciting um, project or uh, development that you've got lined up in the future that you're looking forward to being a part of?
1: Hmm. Well, yeah, it's quite easy. The thing I'm most proud of has been Vero's film vision. Um, that project just all around was it was a labour of love. It was a huge learning experience. It's something that I, I'll for ever be proud of having accomplished um, no question about that and what am I most excited for going forward there's there's a lot of different possibilities and <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know to be, to be totally fair thanks to the coronavirus uh, a lot of 2020 just got put on hold so we're starting to look at what 2021 what next year will look like so there's not a lot that's in stone concrete right now
0: uh, yeah but a lot to kind of plan for and and kind of get excited for because it hopefully there's a a back to a new kind of normal next year with with racing and filming and and all sorts of uh exciting projects
1: yeah totally i would say that uh free ride has always been like a particular interest of mine and uh as a sport like as a discipline as a whole to me it comes so close to that like pure just love of riding that you have like as a kid right so for me uh, any chances I I can to kind of develop that sport and work in that area have always meant a lot to me we've partnered with um Todd Barber, who does Rampage for the qualifier event Proving Grounds. I've partnered with Sam Reynolds uh, for Dark Fest. And so, like, those opportunities to to grow what there is within the sport of, of freeride is super exciting for me.
0: Awesome. And so, I guess a lot of the... Uh... The, the ideas that we've talked about have been about been from inside the industry, which is the, which is the goal of, of this podcast. And, and I know for me, it was, uh, I kind of really wanted to, to be in this industry one day, having been a rider, it was a more natural process for you, but it came from, from passion. What would be your number one tip to anybody listening to this who says, I want CJ's job
1: you can't have it (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's taken
0: uh
1: no i mean don't don't worry about starting small would be where i would give advice um that what why why it felt natural to me is is because i was doing all the right things without knowing without trying right yeah from the bike shop i made friends with the people who worked at the downhill park i made friends with the people who worked at the companies that we uh we sponsor or we sold in the store i became friends with the local riders from racing like it was such a natural build-up where i was never i was never afraid of starting small i was never applying for that senior manager position because i had a college degree and i think that's where i i got lucky
0: yeah no completely and and just being kind of in it and loving it and that really reflects itself to those people around you they can they can see people's passion and and it's about having the right people in the right place at at the right time. And it looks like all of that kind of clicked together for you, but also that you made a huge jump to, to move from your home to Germany and set up a new life. So it's not always easy. Sometimes you've got to take some, some big risks. eh?
1: Yeah, definitely. I would agree there. It was a massive, massive change for me, a massive adventure that I had to think long and hard about. I could have stayed in California where I was comfortable and and gotten another job, you know, just doing whatever, but it paid off to take that gamble for sure.
0: Completely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you as my first ever guest on The Insider. Um, We will hope to get Luke on at some point as well so we can see his side of the story from the kind of the Adidas world, which will be interesting and uh thank you so much and thanks for sharing your story with everybody any final words
1: uh, just thank you for having me this was a lot of fun
0: cool enjoyed it a lot and uh i'm sure we'll catch up again soon cheers cj
1: cheers thank you bye
0: So there you have it. That was episode one of The Insider brought to you by Work With Studios. Work With Studios is a small independent sports marketing agency based in London in the UK, working primarily in the outdoor and action sports industry. Thank you for joining us all the way to the end. It was our first ever attempt at this and CJ's first ever podcast too. But I think we got into some really interesting and unique stories from her career and some of the great opportunities that we've had the chance to share together. That's the aim of The Insider, to really look into those people that are making the moves in the industry that we love and shed a light on some of their stories and how they're helping to influence these sports. We'll be back with episode two. We're not completely certain who our guest is yet, but we'll be dropping new episodes on a hopefully weekly basis. If you've got any new questions, any ideas, or maybe you might want to be featured on it yourself, drop us a message to adam at workwithstudios.com. You can follow us on at workwithstudios or myself at Adam and we look forward to seeing you again on The Insider. Take care, everybody. Hello. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Huh? I can, yes. Oh cool. Hold on, you're coming through my headphones for some reason. That's better. We can hear you. Say hi Adi. Hi Addy. Oh, uh, hi. Uh so no, I've wanted to test this podcast software out. Do you have to pay for it? No, it's free. Well you can't just
1: eat ketchup. No. <laughs> That all would right. make a good podcast.
0: Yeah, can't just be ketchup. Alright, well no, thank you for that. That was all I, I needed. No, no worries. Alright, I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.